Okay, so today we are continuing our series, uh, Summer of Psalms, with the second week in. Uh, this is actually the third summer we have done Summer of Psalms, but uh, as there are 150, we've got plenty more to keep us going for quite a few, few more summers yet, and probably when we get to Psalm 119, we could get a whole summer, if not more, from that one. Uh, but I'm not looking at Psalm 119 today, uh, otherwise we would have been here quite a while. We're going to look at Psalm 27. Last week, Sam uh, spoke really powerfully from Psalm 16, and if you haven't yet had a chance to hear it, if you weren't around or if you're out doing kids' work, I would encourage you to uh, go online and listen to that. In fact, you'll find, I think, nearly 10 years' worth of sermons on there now, so it's well worth having a little look uh, and having a listen to some of the things on there. But um, the title of today is In the Prophetic Place 2, because last week's was In the Prophetic Place 1. And this psalm, as we will see, uh, is uh, a psalm of David, Psalm 27, written by David. We're not told anything else about it, actually. Sometimes you get a little description in the, underneath uh, the, the psalm number, but this one just says, of David. So we're not really sure when it happened, but there's certainly elements of here that we've been hearing about in our worship time this morning, uh, as well as prophetically pointing towards Jesus and our eternal life. So that's why it's called the prophetic place too. But I think... Well, I would, wouldn't I? It could also be called, be still some more and know that God is God. So let's read this psalm. I'm reading from the, uh, the NIV this morning. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not hand me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So as I said, we don't particularly know when this psalm was written. We do know it was written by David. And, and if you know anything about David's life, it could have been written at various points because he encountered trials that are hinted at here a number of occasions. He was a man who knew persecution and suffering at the hands of people, even people who were very close to him. Spurgeon said about this psalm, it's a song of cheerful hope, well fitted for those in trial who have learned to lean upon the almighty arm. It's a psalm about seeing God's uh, assurances that he will sustain and help us through all sorts of things, and particularly in the face of enemies. In fact, it uses various words throughout it. You've probably picked up for enemies. And yet, David is saying, in these situations, I have confidence in God. And if we can have confidence in those, then surely at any point in our lives, we can have confidence that God will be with us. So we're going to take this, working it through pretty much, taking it in chunks, 
First of all, looking at the confidence in God's protection. Secondly, seeking him. Thirdly, seeking his ways. And finally, confidence in his coming goodness. So first of all, confidence in his protection. And we look at uh, the first few verses there, verses 1 to 3, uh, and then 5 and 6. And what really comes across powerfully, I think, is just this absolute assurance David has that God's going to watch over him. God's going to protect him. And his confidence isn't in himself, but it's in God. You know, so often people are like, I know I can make it through because I, you know, I'm tough, I can do this. But David, he realises, no, he, he can only do it because God is with him. And God wants us to have a similar assurance and confidence in him. So let's, let's look at the, uh, what we've got here. So the very opening phrase there, the Lord is my light and my salvation. It doesn't say that God just gives light and salvation. It says that he is light and salvation. It's part of who he is. He is the light in the darkness. In the contrast of the darkness that was surrounding troubles that David had, he's that light, he's that hope, he's the guide. And he's also the salvation, the deliverance in and through the trouble. He's the rescuer. For David... You know, that's when, when armies were marching against him, seeking to take his life. King Saul had, had become incredibly jealous of David. There's those moments. There's when he was taking on some of the, of the enemies of Israel as well. The people were coming against him and he could declare, God is my light and my salvation. But in the psalm, he's also prophetically pointing towards Jesus. You know, how can, as you know, we sit in here several thousand years afterwards, yeah, it's obvious, isn't it? Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. He came to save. Those are phrases we associate with Jesus being the light and our salvation. So David, although he's writing this psalm in response to what he's experienced and knows about God, he's pointing towards something that we now know. Jesus has come and fulfilled that for us. He saved us. If you, if you call on the name of Jesus, if, if you feel that that's, you've done that, if you've called on Jesus' name, he has saved us from death, saved us from sin, saved us from eternal judgment, and he saved us into life and freedom and adoption into his family and eternal life with him. What an incredible thing. We must never forget the good news of the gospel. It's worth noting here as well, just we're still on this very first phrase. It's not just the Lord is the light and the salvation, but my light and my salvation. It's not just, God's not just out there generally bringing light and salvation, although he does, but it's personal. My light and my salvation. Not some abstract concept. God is a personal God. And he loves us to know individually that we can declare he is my light and my salvation. Do you know him? Do you know him in that way? Because if you don't, you can in a moment. You can in a moment. You can say, God, I want to know you. I want to know you like David writes about, who's sung about in this psalm. I want to have that relationship. I want to be able to declare that you are my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. David goes on to say, whom shall I fear? You know, if God is here and, and as our light and salvation, who, who do we need to fear? He's the God of the universe, the almighty one, the one who speaks, let there be light and light comes. He's the one who is light and salvation. The powers of darkness, we don't need to fear them. Because the darkness has to flee when the light comes. The Lord destroys the darkness. He comes with his light. You know, when I when look at a question like, who shall I fear? I think of that bit in Romans 8. We often, you know, many of you might be familiar with it. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the sort of thing that that David's getting at in this psalm. My Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then I shall who shall I fear? The answer is no one. We don't need to fear anyone. Because he's for us. He goes on to say, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. The stronghold, the hiding place, the place of security, the fortress, the strong tower, the place where my life can dwell in safety. Notice too, it's the stronghold of my life, not just someone else's life. It's that personal relationship again that David knew and that God wants us to know with him. We can trust him to hold us, to keep us. Again, he asks, of whom shall I be afraid? If our God is for us, who can stand against us? There's nothing, nothing compares to God. Verse two goes on. When the wicked advance against me to devour me or slander me. We've got here, it's almost like he's, he's saying his enemies that are coming against him are like wild animals seeking to tear him apart, to rat, to kind of rip him up. The image that comes to my mind is he's like saying they're like hyenas, you know, like in the Lion King, when they're these horrible, these horrible creatures that are really threatening and menacing. This is what his enemies are like. And we can feel like that sometimes. People, it can feel like people are out to get us. Or situations kind of stacking up in our lives. He says, when that's going on, actually. It's my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. I wonder whether he had Goliath in mind at this point. You know, one of the most famous moments in David's life when he took on this giant Goliath. I just wonder whether when he wrote this psalm, it was Goliath he was thinking about. When, when my enemies come at me, and you remember what Goliath said? He said, I'm going I'm to feed you to the wild animals. But David stood firm and he came against, I come against you in the name of the Lord and God allowed him to defeat him and what happened to the Goliath? He stumbled and fell never to rise again. David believed because God had helped him in previous situations like facing off Goliath that he would help him in the present and in the future. You know, when we've seen God come through over and over again in our lives, it helps build faith for future encounters, doesn't it? Future things that come up. Or when we hear other people's stories or read other people's stories about how God's come through, it builds faith. That's why it's so good that we encourage one another and spur one another on in this way. You know, if we've seen God do something like Rose shared this morning, when Rose said about how God protects her, it builds faith in us. Oh yeah, okay, God's going to protect me too. He's going to look out for me. David faced all sorts of people who were set on bringing evil and, and, and actually wanted to kill him. And yet what was really interesting, David's approach was that he found faith and prayer were sufficient. Faith and prayer were sufficient. How do we respond when people come against us or we face challenging situations? Do we find that faith and prayer are sufficient? Or do we lean on other things? Go into panic mode, running around. Well, if I just do this or just do that, or do we trust that God has got it? Do we come and bring these things before him? Is our first response prayer? 
Verse 3, though, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. An army, an army besieging him. Not just one person, but an army. Trained soldiers. That when they besiege, my heart will not fear. Even when war break out, I'll be confident. What a peace. What a peace he had because of his confidence in God. Do you know what? We can know the peace from God. That's something God offers us. Because, yeah, trials and tribulations, difficulties do come along. But we can ask him. He's the prince of peace and he delights in bringing peace. We can know that. Philippians 4 even goes as far to say that we can know a peace that goes beyond understanding. The situation we might be in, yeah, may well be this one that looking on people go, you know, that should create lots of worry and anxiety. But we can know a peace. It's an incredible gift God offers to us. David was accessing that. We too can do that. How? Through prayer and knowing who God is. That's why I said, actually, this psalm really could be called Be Still Some More and Know That God Is God. Because we can only know this confidence if we know who God is that we're putting the confidence in. Verse 5, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Very similar sort of language that we heard last week in Psalm 16. Verse 1 said, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. Very similar language coming up. He'll, he'll, He'll keep us, he'll hide us in his shelter, that protection. And in fact, he'll set us on a rock, a rock that can't be shaken. You know, Jesus talked about the wise man building his house on a rock, the foolish man on the sand. What happened when the storms came? The man whose house on the rock stood firm, but the one on the sand fell flat. David's saying that God will set our feet on a rock. That we, that, yeah, the waves may come, the storms may come, but we can stand firm. Not because actually anything to do with our faith, but because of whom we have the faith in. It's not the the level of faith we have, but because God's the one who's holding us. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. David was certain that God would give him the victory. And it's not just a kind of a just about win either, what seems to come across. If you look at it, it says, then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. It's not like he just scraped through. He's just about one. It was kind of close, close. Well, who's going to tip it? Oh, it'll just, just about David just gets through. It's, it, be, his head will be exalted. He's going to have an incredible win. If for us, Christ has won the victory. When he hung on the cross for you and me and said, it is finished curtain was torn, signifying our separation from God. We could come in, and then three days later, he rose from the dead. He has had the victory, and we, in Christ, are heirs to that victory. We get to take part in that victory parade, if you like. One day, there will be a certain future. While there's battles still raging, the end result is certain. We are on the winning side. It's not just going to be a scraping through. It's a done deal. It's just coming through to its moment of completion. Christ has won. We are part of that. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. You know, what we've got here is David saying, when the victory comes... He's not going to then move on to the next thing. Oh, yeah, right, that's done. Now move on. He's going to make a point of stopping and saying, God, I praise you because you're the one who brought this victory. So important that when prayer is heard that we stop to praise God and thank him. So often we rattle off our prayers, almost like shopping lists, and forget, yeah, we've prayed about those things. Let's move on. Something else is coming on. What we've got here is, you know, David's, David's declaring, actually, I'm going to sing 
my praises to you. I'm going to shout in the temple. I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. I'm not going to hold back in my exuberance. And we know about David's exuberance praise. He stripped down to basically a pair of pants at one point to praise God. He had such an attitude of gratitude. Do you take time to thank God for his blessings? You know, when you prayed and seen things happen, do you take time to turn that back into praise for him? Would you make lots of requests without pausing to acknowledge what he has done and is doing? And it might be that you haven't yet seen the full extent, but have, are you praising for things along the way? Do you thank him for the people in your lives? Do you thank him for the good things that have come, however small that might be? Are you always moaning and moving on to the next thing? I need this, I need this, I need this. Life is awful. It's so easy to get into that mentality, but David's here saying, no, when, when this victory comes, when this prayer gets answered, I'm going to make a point of praising you. So he was confident in God's protection. Secondly, he sought after God. He seeks him. What we see here is a real priority, a yearning for God's presence. Verse 4 and then 7 to 10. Let's have a little look. One thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David is someone who's so God-focused. So God-focused. Similar language to what we saw last week in Psalm 16, verse 5 and 8 said, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. This this psalm, we, we get here, David is facing attacks on the enemy you know he doesn't hold back in in his in how serious the situation when the wicked advance against me to devour me you know when they say oh, I'll let of the wild animals coming to get him his response could be to panic but actually his and, and, and other good things you know in terms of safety and stuff but actually he's saying the, the thing I really want is to run after you the thing I seek more than anything else is you and Jesus talked about going after the pearl, the best thing. That's what David sees. He sees, I'm going to run after God. God alone is going to be my focus. Be still and know that he's God. The, the words you've got here in verse 4, the word seek, uh, there's a disputed meaning, but uh, not entirely sure what the word might mean. But it, there's a, the most likely is that it's this idea of, of coming morning by morning to seek after God, to, to frequently come into his presence, giving him the beginning of each day. It's that kind of God-first mentality. Seek him before I do anything else, before I even think about these enemies that are coming against me or these difficult situations, I'm going to seek God. This is what David's saying here. Such is his passion for God, his heart for God. It's no small thing that David's described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. He sought God. What's a really interesting thing to note here as well, it's not, just, it's not just a desire in him, oh, I'd really like to spend time with God. But the desire led to action. You know, I will seek you. I'll actually come and do something. I'm not just going to think, oh yeah, it would be nice to get to know God a little bit more. but I just need to organise my household a bit, or I just need to get my career sorted out, or I just need to fill in the blank. He's saying, no, my desire for God has got to lead to action, otherwise what's the point? Phil Moore, in his book, Straight to the Heart of Psalms, talking about, this psalm says, This psalm should stir our hearts to want to offer our own sacrifices of praise in the house of the Lord. 
We are heirs to the gospel about which these psalms prophesy, so we must not hunger any less than David for intimate fellowship with God. You know, we have such an amazing access to God that David didn't even know about. Because of Jesus, the way is open for each one of us. We don't need to go through lots of rituals and sacrifices, which David and the people at that time had to do. Jesus has made a way. And what Phil Moore's saying there in his book is that how much more then should we desire that intimate relationship? If David did, with all those extra things he had to do in order to be able to get there, how much more should we delight and seek after God? Spurgeon puts it like this. We must not enter the assemblies of the saints in order to see and be seen, or merely to hear the minister, although I appreciate that. We must repair to the gatherings of the righteous, intent upon the gracious object of learning more of the loving Father, more of the glorified Jesus, more of the mysterious Spirit, in order that we may the more lovingly admire and the more reverently adore our glorious God. You know, why do you come to church? Why are you here this morning? Is it to hear me preach? Maybe. Is it to sing some songs? Is it to chat with some people over coffee? Or is it to meet with God and to seek his presence? That's the challenge that comes through this psalm. That's the challenge that comes through David's words here is he's coming because his focus is God and God alone. Yeah, God, God loves to delight in giving us other things as well. But we should be looking at the giver, not just at the gifts that come from God. Because actually his presence is the best of all gifts. It's the place of true delight and true safety. And what we've got here in the psalm as well is that he, he longs to spend days in God's presence. It's pointing towards a day where all of us will be able to be in God's presence all the time without any hindrance, anything in between. That day of eternal glory, being in the heavenly sanctuary that Jesus has made the way. Hebrews 10, 19 to 22 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us, through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. We have access. Let's not take it for granted. Let's run in, grab the opportunities we have to be with our God. David goes on to say, Hear my voice when I call. Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Now the ESV translation of the Bible puts it slightly differently, which I think kind of gives a bit more of an insight on what's going on here. It says, you have said, seek my face. So God, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, I do, I do seek. So what we've got going on here is God's invitation to people to seek him. And it's given en masse, if you like. God's saying, come and seek me. There's a general appeal out there. Come and seek me, people. And David is responding, individually responding. God's saying, come seek. David's saying, yes, I want to seek you. His heart, it's not just words, but his whole being. He's saying, yes, I'm going to run after God. God's calling me. How am I going to respond? Oh, maybe later. I've just got to go do this, that, and the other. No, it's this readiness, this prompting. Yeah, God's calling. I want to be part of what you have. How do we respond to God's invitation? Now, is God calling you afresh to give him greater priority again? How are you going to respond what changes to your daily activities or your rhythm of life might need to be made in order for you to be able to respond wholeheartedly to what God's saying? He's saying, seek my face. Is your response like David? Yes, I will seek your face. Verse 9 goes on. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. 
Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Saviour. You can hear the anguish there that, you know, God, don't, don't leave me. I need you. More than anything else, don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. You've been my saviour. And his prayer begins with getting right with God, making sure he's good with God, seeking his favour and acceptance, but then it's impregnated with his confidence. And he talks about God, yeah, you're my helper, you're my saviour. You can come to God and cry out. And actually, as he says in verse 10, though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. You know, we have elsewhere in the Bible that it says that God will never leave us or forsake us. Jesus promised, as he gave the great commission to the disciples, and said, go and make disciples of all nations, and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. God's never going to turn his back on us. He's never going to run away, like we were singing in the, the song earlier. In fact, he will receive us. And for me, that, that idea of receiving is not some royal royal um, monarch or something like that, it's a welcoming, just receiving, it's come on in, but it's a welcome, it's an embrace from the Father. It's okay. Just imagine him kind of holding, holding us. It's okay, I've got you and I've got this. He's never going to be too busy or disinterested. He's always going to welcome us. God places incredible people around us. Most of us benefit from having family and friends that support us. But do you know what? There's always times when even the strongest relationships, they're just not going to, they can't do everything. There's too much of a strain. But God won't crumble. God won't forsake us. This is what David's saying here. Even the most intimate relationships there's times when perhaps just physically the people can't be around. But God's always right there. That confidence from seeking him. So he goes on to talk about, in verses 11 and 12, seeking his ways. It's not just, so he seeks God and he seeks God. And out of spending time in God, he says, I want to seek your ways. I want to know what it is to walk in your path. Verse 11, teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Again, very similar language to last week in Psalm 16. Verse 11 said, you make known to me the path of life. You know, David doesn't want to pray that God goes with David's plans. He's not coming to God and saying, right, this is what I'd like to happen in my life over the next few years. I'd like to... Uh, move to uh, the Caribbean, I'd like to buy a beautiful house on the beach, um, I'd like to uh, be able to go swimming in the sea whenever I like, um, and then perhaps if I can have a, a cocktail bar next door as well, that I can just go and sip cocktails while the sun's shining. That's what I want. Bless it, God. No, what he's doing is, God, show me your ways so that I can then walk in them. What's our approach when we think about the plans in our life? Do we have things mapped out that we want to happen and say, God, make those happen? You know, they might be very good things, but is it what God wants for your life? Do you take time to ask God, show me what you would have me do? Even day by day, what do you want me to do? And if you do that, do you then... Walk in obedience to what he said. Because that's the other thing, isn't it? It's all very well known what God said, but actually I'm just going to carry on doing it because I, I think these are quite good. I hear you, but I, I like this idea here. It's challenging, isn't it? It's challenging the way David approached things. There's so much here for us all. Whether it's the big decisions, kind of long-term things, or, in, or day by day, what do you want me to do? Let me walk in your paths. Do not hand me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. So similar language here to, to the bit in the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? 
you know, deliver us from evil. Don't hand me over to, to what my enemies would want to have happen to me. Protect me, look after me, look out for me. If people set on doing harm, keep me from that. They've got these plans they want to have happen to me that are going to do me harm, but Lord, protect me, keep me from evil. Is what David's saying here. But I wonder also whether in there is also a desire that he doesn't want to go with their plans either, that he wants to live differently. So there's a plea for protection from, from what the enemies, his enemies might do, but also I wonder whether it's, a, I don't want to behave in a way that is ungodly. They clearly do. I don't want to be part of that. So help me to walk in your ways. Help me to walk in a godly manner. Aware that the impact of those around them can have an effect. Now, people around us, they're not all wanting to follow what God wants by any means. We're surrounded by people in our workplace, in our families, in the streets, who have a completely different outlook on life. And it's very easy just to walk in their paths. But the challenge from David here is walking God's paths. And these final two verses demonstrate a confidence in the coming goodness, in God's coming goodness. Verse 13, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Echoes of verse uh, 11 in chapter six, uh, Psalm 16 last week. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You know, our hope is a certain hope based on what Jesus has done. One day we will be with him forever in the land of the living. I wonder, this goodness of the Lord, I wonder what that looks like. We only see glimpses now. You know, some of the best moments in our lives, some of the, the greatest blessings, they're just a tiny little taste of what we've got coming for all eternity. I wonder, it's mind-blowing to begin to think, well, yeah, there's this incredible thing I experienced last year. Well, it's going to be that and like two a million times and beyond. I will see the goodness of the Lord. You and I, if we call on the name of Jesus, we will know the goodness of the Lord. David's confident that even though he's facing these trials from all sorts of different sides, one day God will lead him through. And what God has planned is so much better than all the difficulty, the trash, the, the struggles that he's facing now. We too can know that. We too can know that. Whatever it is you're facing at the moment, and some of you have got really difficult things going on, you have a certain future, a certain hope, sure and certain hope that one day you'll be welcomed into the Father's embrace forever in the land of the living and you will see the goodness of the Lord. So finally, David has an encouragement to us. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. It's not a casual passiv passivity here. It's a waiting, a diligence coming before God. Depending, depending and trusting on him. Very similar to what Joshua was commanded to do. If you remember when he was commissioned by Moses, as Moses knew his time on earth was coming to an end, he was handing over to Joshua to lead the people. And what did he say? He said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a truth that's for each one of us today as well. You know, whatever it is you're going into, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified, for the Lord your God goes with you. He goes back with you into your household. He goes back with you into your streets. He goes back with you into your workplace. He goes back with you into whatever it might be that you've got coming up in the next few days and weeks. You can have confidence, not in yourself, 
but because God is trustworthy. He is the Almighty One. His heart is for you. His love is for you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will never turn his back on you. He'll never say he's too busy or this thing is too big for him. There's never any of that. It's always come. So that we can declare with David, Lord, you are my light and my salvation. You are my stronghold. You are my helper. You are my saviour. You will hide me in the shelter of your sacred tent and you will set me high upon a rock. And what can we do when that happens? We can say, I will praise you and shout with joy because you have brought the victory. I'm going to ask the band to come up. I just believe there's a few responses from today's message. I think one of the things that that God would want us to hear loudly from this psalm and from what David has written is that invitation that God gives to seek him. Verse 8 said, seek me. And David's response was, my heart says, I seek you, Lord. God's inviting us this morning to seek him. Now, if you don't yet, if you've never committed your life to Jesus, you've never said you want to be a follower of him, be a Christian, that invitation's for you as much as for anyone else. And you can say, like David did, Lord, I seek you. Will you show yourself to me? I don't really understand all of what's being said. Uh, I've, I've been, I'm here, but I'm not too sure. Will you show yourself? I'm seeking you. And God loves to reveal himself when he does that. when when people say that. So I'd invite you, during this next bit of time when the band are going to be playing and we're going to be singing, you can just say, God, show yourself. I want to know what it is to be loved by you. But also I think, for some of us who maybe been walking with Jesus for a long time, it's a fresh call. God's saying, seek me. Seek me. It's a fresh call to come back and to know the peace that 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 brings, that peace and that help in trials. So I think that's part of it as well. There's an encouragement here that we can know the peace in the difficulties. The Prince of Peace delights in bringing peace. So if you're facing trials at the moment and you just want to know some peace from God, it's here for you this morning. He's not a tease in that. He'll bring it in a moment. So if you want to respond while we're singing, you can come down the front and the ministry team would just come and stand with you and pray God's peace over you. So there's an invitation to seek his face, maybe for the first time or again with, with kind of fresh energy. As we said, David didn't have to just have the desire, but it led him to do something. And maybe your desire has been stirred afresh. Yeah, I want to seek him again. What does that mean? Secondly, maybe there's an, it's an encouragement to seek after to come for prayer for his peace and help. And thirdly, it's a challenge. Questions, really, for you to think about. What or who do you turn to when you face trials? Do you lean on your own strength to battle through? Do you lean on on friends and family? And while those are good things, the best thing is to come to God. Do you need to repent of placing your trust in other things other than God? So an invitation, an encouragement, a challenge. We're going to respond as we sing. But what I want to do before we do that, I just want to read the psalm over you again. I want, to hear, I want you to hear the words. I'm going to read it from the message translation as we finish, and then we're going to stand and worship God, and we can respond to some of those things. So just listen. This is how... Uh, Eugene Peterson put it in the message. Light, space, zest, that's God. So with him on my side, I'm fearless, afraid of no one and nothing. When vandal hordes ride down, ready to eat me alive, those bullies and toughs fall flat on their faces. When besieged, 
I'm calm as a baby. When all hell breaks loose, I'm collected and cool. I'm asking God for one thing, only one thing, to live with him in his house my whole life long. I'll contemplate his beauty. I'll study his feet. That's the only quiet, secure place in a noisy world. The perfect getaway, far from the buzz of traffic. God holds me head and shoulders above all who try to pull me down. I'm headed for his place to offer anthems that will raise the roof. Already I'm singing God songs. I'm making music to God. Listen, God, I'm calling at the top of my lungs. Be good to me. Answer me. When my heart whispered, seek God, my whole being replied, I'm seeking him. Don't hide from me now. You've always been right here, right there for me. Don't turn your back on me now. Don't throw me out. Don't abandon me. You always kept the door open. My father and mother walked out and left me, but God took me in. Point me down your highway, God. Direct me along a well-lighted street. Show me my enemies whose side you're on. Don't throw me to the dogs. Those liars who are out to get me fill in the air with their threats. I'm sure now I'll see God's goodness in the exuberant earth. Stay with God. Take heart. Don't quit. I'll say it again. Stay with God. So we're going to worship God a little bit more. We're going to focus on him to be still and know that he's God. And if you want to respond to any of those things, this is an opportunity if you would appreciate prayer, you want someone to come and pray God's peace over you, help in situations, then come down the front and the ministry team would love to pray with you. Otherwise, just stand now. Let's focus on him, the one we can have total confidence and assurance in.
Thank you that we can declare you are my light and my salvation. You're the stronghold of my life. That's true right now as we're gathered, but it's also true this evening. It's true tomorrow. It's true next month. It's true forevermore. If our God is for us, who can be against us? Thank you, your love is with us, directed upon us every moment of every day. Help us to hold on to these truths as we go from here. And Lord, I ask your blessing on each one of us. Lord, I pray we'd know your face shining upon us. Lord, we pray for breakthrough in situations. We pray for freedom in our lives. And Lord, we pray that your goodness and your hope would go far and wide to those around us as we live in the good of what we know. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. <laughs>